huge stadium. Their silence is deafening. 136 Israelis are still being held hostage by Hamas. Bring them home. What's going on, Dodgers Nation? Doug McCain here, and it's a special day because I am joined by ESPN's Mr. Doug Glanville. Of course, you know Doug spent nine years playing in the show with the Phillies, the Cubs, the Texas Rangers. He's going to be calling the Dodgers versus Yankees game on ESPN Radio this Sunday night with Boog Shambi on ESPN Radio at 410 Pacific First Pitch. Doug, thank you so much for joining us, my man. Yeah, it's great to be here. Looking forward to it. Uh, you know, growing up in New Jersey, saw a lot of Yankees Dodgers uh, postseason in the 70s. So uh, brings back a lot of good memories. But hey, Doug, we got two Dougs in the mix. Doug's got to <laughs> stick together. Hey, last year, Doug was the 8,646 most popular name in America. Hey, we got to stick together, right, my man? <clears throat> That's right, man. You know, not, there's not a lot of us, so we'll have to think of ourselves as like a rare jewel or something like that. So pretty cool. Yeah, man, we're bringing it back. You've already brought it back. But yeah, so Doug, I want to start with this Dodgers team because everyone says, hey, don't start talking about records until Memorial Day. We're past Memorial Day. We're at the one-third mark of the season, and the Dodgers are doing what they do every year. They're winning games. They have the formula. They know how to win this part of the season. Are you surprised at all with the success this Dodgers team's had when you consider the fact that a lot of people out there, they pick the Padres. They pick other teams to be on top at this stage of the season. But are you at all surprised, Doug? No, I'm not surprised. That, you know, this is a team that was built to last. And when Andrew Friedman uh, took over the reins, you know, they were in a position that they understood value from his experience with the Rays, but also the fact that they added resources to that value. And uh, that's a great combination. Someone who understands how to extend value and find it while, while at the same time be able to add pieces if necessary because you have the deep enough pocketbook. So, you know, that's um, it's no shock. The talent is still there. Dave Roberts is a you know a good manager, has established himself over a long period of time as being one of the best in, in the game. And, you know, when you have that combination with young talent mixed with some experience, uh, there's no shock with especially a team that's accustomed to winning. They know how to win. Yeah, and when you look at this team right now, they're on top of the division. It's not even the Padres that are chasing them. It's the Diamondbacks. You look at that Padres team. They have had some success of late, but they really haven't lived up to expectations. But it's still early in the season. It's still relatively early in the season. They have tons of talent. I still think they're going to make a run. Do you think the Padres still have a run in them? Do you think that they'll make a run with the Dodgers? Or you think L.A. is going to run away with this division? Well, you know, the Padres have the talent to make a run. And, you know, they spent a lot of money just getting this core group. And when you talk about the top four of the order, when Machado's in there, that's a, that's a very formidable group. Uh, you know, they, they have the talent. And maybe in some regards, when, when they sort of exercised the demon of finally catching the Dodgers last year and knocking them off in the postseason, right? it was like, wait a minute, the pressure's on us now. <laughs> the Dodgers like, hey, you know, you handle that stuff right now. We're going to play our game. And even though the Dodgers aren't getting the really consistent pitching, they're still atop the division. So it shows you that they've found ways to win many different ways where the Padres are still trying to establish that consistency, you know, pitching woes, guys haven't hit as they expected injuries. And all of a sudden they're, they're chasing now, like they have always been, but this time the Dodgers are, you know, they're not they're, They got one eye on the Padres. They understand like, okay, they beat us last year. We have to be ready. And by the way, the Diamondbacks are, are not playing around. 
Yeah, no, the Diamondbacks, they've definitely been a surprise team. And you look at this Dodgers team, the success they've had, it comes to no surprise to people in LA, to fans of this team. But you compare this to years in the past where, look, this is what this team does. They've won so many games. Last year, they won 111 games. And it feels like the Dodgers, they're the guys that always get straight A's. They get straight A's every year. But last year, they bombed that final, right? They weren't able to get past the Padres. Do you think that maybe there's a situation where they do get complacent towards the end of the year because they've just running away with the division? Do you think that makes any difference? Do you think it's just about getting hot at the right time? Or do you think that plays into it at all? Well, there's no question that they had to find ways to keep a certain focus. And, you know, the, the Dodgers are motivated because despite all the champions and the success, you know, the, the World Series has generally been elusive. You know, they won in 2020. So there's a lot of motivation. I don't think you needed a lot. I mean, Justin Turner, when he was there, certainly had gone through all of that and finally was like, okay, so, you know, you need guys that stay, you know, keep their eyes on the prize. And there's plenty of it because they've fallen short in some degree. Like you mentioned, all the wins last season and to be disappointed. But I've covered that series last year, the Padres-Dodgers postseason. And the Padres just kind of outplayed them. They outmaneuvered. You know, they, they looked like, okay, they were the better team in this series. I think that was like a cold dash of water <laughs> for the Dodger nation. Just be like, wait a minute now. We got to get back to form, but also realize like we're vulnerable and we may be running out of time with certain players. So they've they've sort of focused differently and despite not getting the pitching they're, they're using the, the long ball a lot this year the home runs in play freddie freeman's having a great year so a lot of different ways that they're able to to put up numbers and put up w's but the d-backs are right behind them and um but the dodgers have that that experience so so yes do they need to you know win 111 games no they, they definitely don't they need to be built for that postseason and my only concern right now is you know, trying to establish how that p pitching rotation is going to play, right? Because of the injuries. If you sat down and said, who's the top three right now? You know, you're, you're kind of mixing and matching a little bit. And, uh, you know, that's not something they're quite used to. Yeah, no, absolutely. I agree 100%. And I like the adversity. I like the fact that they're dealing with some stuff they weren't dealing with last year. Look, sometimes if you're getting straight A's, it means your child isn't challenged enough. It means the workload isn't hard. And as someone who's a Penn graduate, you know all about getting straight A's, right? But sometimes it's good to bounce back. And I think this team dealing with some of these injuries and still being able to put up one of the best records in the league really speaks to this organizational depth. Now, I want to talk to you about this offense, though, because the offense, they've been fantastic, one of the best in the league. But over 50% of their runs are come from the home run ball. They're a little home run reliant. If you look at some of the batting averages, they're around 200. And yes, they're right at the top when it comes to WRC plus and OPS, but they're 21st in batting average. Now, Doug, as someone who hit 300 twice in your career, how important do you think that is to have the different clubs in your bag when it comes to the postseason versus winning so many games in the regular season, winning the way they do? Well, I definitely like the the many clubs, right? The, the versatility of being able to create runs. I mean, that's the name of the game. You have to figure out how to create runs and put more runs across the board and prevent uh, less, you know, and that's where the Dodgers have found ways to shine. You have run differential, you know, last year, for example. Uh, so that that's in their toolkit. There's no doubt about it. But, you know, the challenge they have, like you said, if you live and die by the home run, because now you're when you you lose the power stretch, someone goes down. All of a sudden, now you're not finding ways to score. And when you look at the new rules in place, where now the shift on the right side that's been mitigated, and what you'll see is a lot of lefties like Muncy or someone like they'll move that second baseman over towards first base, take that hole away. Now there's a huge gap between the second baseman and second base. That's the opportunity to get the base hits, make contact, go first to third. 
you know, these are that's what the Diamondbacks are doing, right? That's the team that's running and using advantages from the new rules. I think the Dodgers have the talent in that playbook. A lot of young guys, you know, outmen, all these cats that can have the athleticism to start putting pressure on the bases. That is where you can create runs in a different way than the home run. And it, the good news for the Dodgers is it's with them because part of that is just a construct of the rules. You know, it's not something like, oh, do you have the personnel? No, you just literally have a whole side of the field open right now. So you, you got to use it. And uh, in Mookie Betts, who's a great base runner, Freddie Freeman, great base runner, they they can lean into that. Uh, and, and I think that's the versatility. So, yeah, you'd like to have different weapons, different tools going into the postseason and knowing that you can win if you whether it's two to one or ten to nine. And the Dodgers have that kind of talent. Yeah, no, and absolutely, when you look at this roster, you look at some of the talent they have, you mentioned Mookie Betts. Freddie Freeman is a guy you don't worry about just swinging for the fences. He's a guy that hits to all fields. He is absolutely killing it once again this season. One of the best players in all of Major League Baseball. He just set the Dodgers record for most extra base hits in a month. If you look at him this season, just continuing to be productive, continue to be one of the best players in the league, what has impressed you most with Freddie Freeman this year, Doug? Man, you talk about a great hitter. And and I was fortunate we got to interview him a, a couple of weeks ago and just talking about, you know, his ability to handle things with two strikes. But the thing about Freddie Freeman is he's he's consistent in his approach. You know, but what he tries to do is kind of universal. Count doesn't matter. You know, he's just trying to stay behind the ball, stay inside the ball, hit to the big part of the field. It's short, it's compact, it's simple, it's patient. And that works with everything. And he's found an ability to do it lefties or righties or any scenario. He has that calm about him. That's what impresses me because a lot of times pitchers use your anxiety against you. You know, if they see, oh, you're jumping out. You know, look, I mean, when I played against all these Braves, Maddox, Smoltz, Glavin, they they just kept slowing you down and speeding you up and slowing you down. Friedman always has his own pacing. He is kind of in control. And it doesn't matter if you had the pitch clock or not or whatever, he's in control. And that's what's so impressive because he's been so consistent at it. And what's so also underrated about Freddie Freeman is how good a base runner he is. I mean, he's really one of the best base runners out there. Great reads, you know, understands positioning, pays attention, knows the scoreboard and the the circumstances, pushes the envelope and can take the extra base. So, um, you know, this guy is on an MVP pace and and he was actually my pick for MVP this year. So I'm feeling pretty good. <laughs> yeah. And I was just actually going to ask you about that next because we know Ron Acuna Jr. He's having a fantastic season, but you're still sticking with that Freddie Freeman MVP pick, I'm assuming. Well, I always stick with what I go in preseason, you know, whatever happens, sink or swim. So uh, look, Acuna Jr., uh, we just did the Brave series uh, against the Phillies and whoa, I mean, he's doing everything. He's aggressive. He's a new appreciation when he, you know, lost, time as you know due to injury he's come back with a vengeance something to prove a chip all those things so um yeah it's exciting to watch but you know i still think you know you you got freddie freeman is going to be in this mix at this pace wow yeah, no, and he's already on a tear on the base pass, like you mentioned. I love the fact, too, he's in the 32nd percentile in sprint speed, but he still finds a way to get it done with the new pizza box bases, with the new rules. Everyone's out here looking like Ricky Henderson, and you love to see him taking advantage. But one thing I want to ask you, too, as one of the better hitters in the league in your day, do you is that contagious when someone like a Freddie Freeman is up there always having the right approach, bat-to-ball approach, really just trying to get that bat pad, get the bat to the ball, and get hits? Is that contagious when you see someone like that? Do you think that's rubbing off on some of the other Dodgers down the lineup? It is, and part of it is because, you know, Freddie Freeman chooses to lead. He chooses to get involved, and 
He's a resource he offers. I mean, he came up with, you know, Chipper Jones. He had a lot of mentors to look at. And I remember talking to Chipper Jones a few years ago, you know, in the early days. I think he was he was sort of on the back end. And he's just looking forward to this next generation, whether it's Jason Hayward or, or Brian McCann and all these cats. So Freddie Freeman was part of that. And he understood and understands about passing the torch, being able to take information and you know, help his teammates be successful. Uh, I remember talking last year about the iPads, right? You know, having your at bat and then everybody looking at their iPads. He's like, get off the iPads. You know, it's like, watch the game, you know? So, you know, Freeman is, um, you know, he's quiet about it, but he has so much to offer and he's offering that. So in many respects, that is what's contagious when you have leadership that chooses to share information and uh, share have a shared approach on how to beat an opponent. Uh, and you have a leader that's willing to do that, then you have a lot more chances at success. Yeah, I know Freddie Freeman has, I think, even exceeded expectations in LA. I think he's one of the best value deals we've ever seen for a superstar. And I owe $27 million is a lot, $162 million. But still, this guy, when you look at how much he's produced already, he's been incredible. Another guy I want to ask you about, another Dodgers acquisition from last offseason is J.D. Martinez. And J.D. Martinez is back on track. The slug is up. You're seeing what he contributes, his impact in the lineup. Do you think he brings something to this Dodgers lineup that maybe they lacked last season? Yeah, I call him like the hit junkie, man. I mean, this guy loves to get in the weeds about hitting and approach and strategy. So once again, I think there's a, you're talking about someone like the high baseball IQ, a student. And I think that is an aspect that he brings, whether he's hitting or not. But he's found, you know, a lot more of the old school J.D. Martinez, you know, being able to stay and and use the middle of the field. He was, historically wasn't always necessarily a big damage guy opposite field, but he's had to make certain adjustments and he he does. So that's that's a stabilizer. They brought him in for this purpose and you need him to be that guy, you know, to DH, to be out there and be the run producer, consistency, all these elements. So, yeah, I mean, and, and sometimes you go to the Dodgers or an organization that's always right in the mix and it sort of revitalizes you. It's like, wait a minute now, I don't want to be the weak link here. Right? So, it's like what Syndergaard is talking about. Like, I don't want to, I'm the, you know, I would be the weak link. So, um, yeah, I, I just am impressed when you have experience mixed with young guys. And Jason Hayward, great experienced guy, great in the locker room, a leader. Then you have that combination that you're looking for when you have young guys, Vargas guys coming up that are trying to figure it out. Yeah, no, he's been nothing short of incredible. I think him reuniting with Robert Van Skoyak, the guy that really helped reinvent himself, the guy that helped revamp his swing and just being on that one year deal and prove that, hey, I was one of the best hitters in all of Major League Baseball for the last eight seasons. And he is looking the part. And I think he's going to provide that slug. So, yeah, definitely a big addition. But I also want to ask you about the Dodgers manager, Dave Roberts, because, look, you play with some great managers, Terry Francona in Philly, some guys that are very notable. But here in L.A., I host a post game show and anytime the Dodgers lose it's always the finger pointed at Dave Roberts they would blame him for the Titanic right and I always say that look Dave is a culture builder he's a guy that knows how to optimize his players by giving them confidence in your opinion what do you think Dave Roberts biggest strength is as a skipper in a roaring stadium their silence is deafening. 136 Israelis are still being held hostage by Hamas. Bring them home. You have a good read on it. That's a good read. I mean, 
you know, I've got a, a chance to get to know him pretty well in a lot of the games in the postseason. Uh, there's a certain calm, certainly. Uh, there's a certain transparency. You know, he talks to you and he tells you the truth. He kind of comes at you with like, here's what's going on. Here's what I'm thinking. And he had to make tough decisions. Even last year, right? We had Kimbrell was an option and it was real hard. I, you know, guy was 400 saves now. You know, you don't have him on the roster. That was tough, you know, and, and you had to wear that. So you have ways that you have to deal with personnel and all the information you have to synthesize now that comes in with data and the front offices and and who's really making the lineup kind of scenario. He navigates that very well. And certainly his a track record shows a consistency of, of success. Maybe he hasn't won a million times, but he's gotten he's got the trophy, but he's also found ways to always be there. Even in a year like now, you're like, well, the Dodgers might regress. And, you know, they're right there, first place, you know. So you realize that he can win in a lot of different situations. It's not just a waterfall of resources, the only reason. Um, but I found him to be very direct, transparent, still loves the game. He's practical. Um, he's like, okay, you know, this is the scenario. I'm hoping this will happen. He doesn't try to throw, you know, all these things at you to, to sort of create the illusion like everything is perfect. Um, and I've, you know, I've always appreciated it. I feel like I learn a lot talking to him because he, he studies and he has responses, but he's also open to, okay, you know, this is new in the analytics department. Let me try to work with this. Uh, and that's a good sign when you're getting to be more of a veteran manager that you're still able to take in information and also appreciate veteran players that could help get that information to you. You know, they like Freddie Freeman, Jason Aver, they're like coaches, J.D. Martinez. Uh, he just brings them on to his staff, so to speak, and lets them lead. Yeah, no, and I think, too, you don't really see a manager's clubhouse persona versus how he is out on the field in front of the media. I mean, it's a different thing. I've seen him a few times. It makes me want to run through a brick wall, kind of the energy he brings. But as a player yourself, you guys are all elite, right? I mean, there's less than 800 of you guys around the world, 780 big leaguers. How much of an impact can a manager have on your game? It matters. I mean, it definitely matters. And, and maybe there's a personal element. I mean, I played for Francona. You know, I enjoyed guys that were positive and sort of optimistic, uh, you know, go about it the right way, play hard, appreciates the small details. So you do learn your profile about maybe a manager that gets the most out of you, let's say, for example. But you have to be, if you're a pro, you got to learn how to play for different personalities, different personas and styles, changes you have to go through. Especially if you play long enough, you're fortunate to do that. A lot of stuff will change around you, rules and, and salaries and strikes and lockouts and all these things. Uh, but I, I do think that the manager makes a difference. I mean, quantifiably, it's it's always a challenge. But, you know, the belief is it's got to be there. You got to know how to deal with challenges and setbacks and losing streaks. And managers that have that perspective can make a huge difference for sure. Yeah. And as far as managerial styles go, I don't think you're going to see that manager like we saw back in the day, kicking up dirt, yelling at umpires as much as you've seen. And I think Dave Roberts is the guy that it's collaborative. Like you mentioned, to your point, working with the front office, embracing analytics to a degree and really have an all in team effort. Do you think the managerial style is different today and what would work in 2023 versus 10, 15, 20 years ago? Yeah, well, it's absolutely different. And, and um, there's no doubt that with all the information you have to synthesize on a given day, you have to know how to put it in practice in a way that's effective for your group, your team, your personnel. And it's not that you have to use all of it, but you have to know your team well enough to, to know what works. I mean, it's one thing to say like, hey, this guy needs a day off versus the, the, the player coming into your office and saying, I need a day off or something that you can't measure. And, and so what is interesting about today 
is you have a lot of experienced managers that are, that are having their comebacks, right? The Dusty Baker, the Buck Showalter, the Bruce Bochies, Bob Melvin, and so on. These guys have been around the block, and now they're seen as an asset again, right? There was a period of like, get these guys out of here, right? Let's get the young guys, motivate. We don't even want them to have managerial experience. We're going to give it to them. We're going to teach them. Uh, that is now kind of balanced out now, and you see a lot more of that experience and those guys that have been around there for a long period of time. And and I think that it translates and it shows that generationally what what resonates with players today still can be something that resonated back in the day. Uh, it may be new information, it may be new this and that, but still players want respect, consistency, honestly. You know, they want the same things and they can produce under those same things if a, a manager knows how to reach different kinds of players in different ways. And that's what separates Bochi and Baker they know how to work with different types of players to motivate them, whether they're 72 or 32. Yeah, know those guys, legends of the game, more than one way to skin a cat, do it different ways. But one of the difficult decisions that Dave Roberts and his organization might be faced with sometime in the near future is what they do with Noah Syndergaard. Because Noah Syndergaard he signs a one-year, $13 million deal. We've known this organization's had so much success with reclamation projects. We saw what they did with Tyler Anderson last season. And the mindset for him was perfect. He comes in here and he says, hey, everything the Dodgers touch turns to gold. He said he could throw 100 again, but it just hasn't worked out so far the velos bend down he just struggled mightily first thing i want to ask you is what do you say to one of your teammates that's going through a slump like that i mean he said yesterday he's the weakest link i mean if you go up to one of your teammates what would you kind of say in that situation well you know that's where that's where leadership matters you know coaches uh veteran guys that know that Syndergaard can have something to offer you never know something clicks mechanically whether it's a hundred or the fact that you're hitting location hey you know you don't have to throw through a wall you still can pitch and, and use that data and that information to get people off balance. Uh, there's still plenty of pitchers that not, don't necessarily throw the ball through a brick wall and still know how to pitch and get through a lineup. Uh, and especially today where you could be situational or if Syndergaard, let's say he's the long man or some game, or maybe he goes four innings. That's all you may need to do, you know, because the specialization in the bullpen allows you to bridge that. So it's not as critical to throw the ball through the wall and get 15 strikeouts and go nine and, that's that's way back in the day. Now you just have to put your team in a position to succeed. And, you know, as long as they believe he has the tools to do that, then they need to give him that belief too and make sure that he knows that it's important to to find it and, and stay focused on it. Uh, because if he can do that, you know, that's another arm that they absolutely need. Yeah. And with Syndergaard, do you think it's more of a situation where he needs to just reinvent himself and not trying to be Thor that's throwing thunderbolts and kind of just evolving? Do you think that is something that would help him turn the corner? Uh, you know, I, absolutely. And I, I kind of thought that's what was happening coming out of spring training. I remember going doing a Dodger game and, um, you know, you're like, OK, you know, this is a different Syndergaard. He's pitching against the Cubs and um, that's OK. You know, he's, he's changing speed. He's spinning it a little bit. He's He's working down in the zone, all these things that he didn't necessarily have to do when he was throwing 100. Um, so, yeah, he, I think that's the Syndergaard. Uh, you know, hey, it's a pleasant surprise if you throw 100 all of a sudden, but generally he has to work with what he has. 
Yeah, and I think when you consider the injuries that the Dodgers are dealing with, I think they'll give them some more bites out of the apple before they make a decision, give them a chance to really turn things around. But when you look at this Dodgers rotation as a whole, Clayton Kershaw, he was phenomenal early. Last three starts, hasn't been at his best, but we expect him to get back on track. Julio Urias, another guy that last year finished his third in the Cy Young voting, isn't having his best year. You look at the injury to Dustin May. Do you think this Dodgers organization needs to go out there and upgrade their rotation to have a better chance to win the World Series? Not now, you know, it's more about trade deadline rolls around. And then you're like, <clears throat> let me see. Let me, let me look around here. All right. All right. Yeah. yeah let's yeah. get this guy. That's, that's where Friedman and the Dodgers resources pays dividends. You, it's like, you can wait around and make a move. So they have the money to do it. And, and so, um, yeah, they need to get guys healthy. I mean, that would make, that could be your biggest trade acquisition. The Rias guys getting healthy again. Um, may, maybe not with a 60 day, but you have, you know, that possibility. And um, and so with, when you have that possibility, Gonsal and other guys are stepping in, then you could sort of hold the fort and try to get the find who's going to rise up and be that guy you can depend on every fifth day and then add the pieces as you need. But they're in first place right now. You know? yeah, yeah. So, you know, that that's what's amazing about it. You know, with all the holes and questions in the rotation um, and the pitching has not been the strongest point. It's like you have guys that are doing great or guys are doing terribly. They're just they're all over the place. Uh, but even with that, they're in first place. Yeah, and there really is no one perfect starter out there. And you look at guys like Lucas Giolito, Dylan Seas, Corbin Burns, who has looked better of late, but there's not that one guy that's on a one-year deal or an expiring contract that makes a ton of sense right now. And also, too, Andrew Friedman, he hasn't spent big since the expanded postseason. He likes to make acquisitions in the offseason and when he can get the best value. He likes to buy the Halloween candy the day after Halloween, right, when it's on sale. It just doesn't seem like there's going to be a robust market out there because the expanded postseason and just the the player pool that's available. Do you agree? Yeah, there's not the pitching pool right now is it's not as deep as they'd like it to be. So yeah, you mentioned some names like Giolito or Corbin Burns, and and that that all that's contingent on the Brewers really collapsing. You know, they're still in the race, yeah. and they proved last year we'll trade Josh Hader, whatever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, that's a good point. So it's it's you know they they still could make moves even when they're kind of sitting in a good position. And, uh, and I think that's the optimism. And the Dodgers are as, as good as any team to be in that front chair when the when the value comes through. And Burns would be would a great one. I mean, there's a couple other guys, but um, are they? it doesn't seem to be like, are you going to get, you know, a perennial Cy Young? You know, maybe Burns, he's, he's been great overall, but it's, a, it's, not, it's not deep in that way. So they're going to have to be in that first chair. But first, they got to get, if everybody's healthy, that might be the acquisitions they need. Yeah, and hey, it's always a possibility. You can never count this organization out. They went out and made a trade for Trey Turner and Max Scherzer a few years ago. But a guy that could surprise, a guy that could slot into this rotation is Bobby Miller. And Doug, he is the talk of the town right now. It is Miller time. It is Bobby's role. People are going crazy for this kid. Based on what you've seen, do you think it's a realistic or unrealistic to expect that, hey, this guy could just fill in the rotation and be someone they can count on for the entire season? I mean, you talk about talent. Yes. I mean, you know, it's... It's a tough position sometimes, like you mentioned, Dave Roberts. How do you take a young guy who's was drafted, what, 2020, right? I mean, just recently, and try to figure out how to pace him, right? Where you're not saying, okay, here's your workload and go 200 innings when you you might need this guy at his best, you know, for game five, you know, later in the year. And you're trying to visualize where he fits in there. But, you know, the now is the now. And, you know, there's a lot of life and I, I always like to look at their minor league stats a little bit and see a guy that showed command, kept the ball in the ballpark, good strikeout to walk ratio, 
through, you know, strikeouts to innings and so on. A lot of really positive signs for a guy that just got drafted. And 2020, look, that's a tough time to come in this mix, man, because pandemic, shortened season, you, had, you know, where was the minor leagues? It was just a mess. And to come out of that, you know, like a phoenix is uh, is, is saying a lot. So uh, there's a lot of reason to be excited. And, and that's the... That's the Dodgers, right? They reload, they find guys, they develop, they find value in where guys seem like they had lost value. And uh, and that's why the Dodgers will be in contention. It's just it's just an automatic. Yeah, I know he's been so impressive. And the fact that he's keeping his velo late in his starts, still pumping 99-100 in the fifth inning, the way he's commanding his five-pitch mix, I want to believe I'm hoping that he has a Walker-Buehler-like impact like we saw in 2018. So I definitely think that he's someone that definitely could be a star that really has a coming-out party in your game on Sunday if he has a big game against the Yankees. But a few more questions I want to ask you about some of these other young guys for the Dodgers and James Alman and Miguel Vargas. Now, James Alman, he was absolutely on fire he was raking to start the season then he fell into a little slump had an over 20 slump Miguel Vargas he was struggling to start the season and then he turned things on I want to ask you about as a rookie in this league facing big league competition just making those adjustments your rookie season how big of a challenge is that Doug big challenge big challenge and it it helps to have guys who've gone through it that can talk to you about it and just sort of help you through Uh, the information is so rich out there that they find your weaknesses very quickly and they'll go right after it it's not like oh let me set it up no 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 we're gonna go right after it. pitch one and so that is a challenge that you have to figure out how to protect those holes be disciplined with it and not get outside and miss your strength as well so you know it's a, a typical learning curve and uh, it's hard to get in there from the beginning and just be like oh i just hit 300 all season long and it was just great that was it uh, most likely you are going to go through these periods like outman but outman like this is a great athlete and there's times where that can be a tremendous asset because you can figure it out, so to speak. But also, you don't want to lean into it so much that you're like, oh, wait a minute, like, I'm still like in football mode or what, you know, I'm still trying to get, um, you know, things that I'm relying on that's making me cut corners that I shouldn't cut, right? Those kind of things. And, um, but it's hard to know yourself that well as a rookie. That's what you're always going through. What kind of hitter am I? Where am I hitting in the lineup? And uh, every day, it's coming at you, man. I mean, I used to used to wake up and be like, you know, it's like cold sweat sometimes because you, when you're playing every day, it's like, oh my goodness, Glavin, Smoltz, Glavin, Smoltz. Your whole yeah, yeah. life is like around some starting rotation that's coming at you and you're trying to close these holes and try to be a step ahead of it. So it, it's tough and you're going to go through some periods, but Alman, you know, has got really great skills, man. And Vargas, I'm, I'm excited about some of those young players um, that are getting a shot now because what's going to happen is they will get some experience and then they get some postseason experience and all of a sudden, you know, they're just advanced because they've just been through it and they're around leaders, uh, veteran leaders that will help them. All right. Yeah. So they, I know they definitely have the potential. They have the talent. I think they're going to work it out, but we're going to wrap this up here on a little rapid round, quick one answer questions. You ready, Doug? Bring it on. All right. Who was your favorite player growing up? Uh, Mike Schmidt, probably a tie with Gary Maddox, but I was a Philly fan. Yeah. Nice. Toughest pitcher you ever faced? Man, it's probably a sinker baller like a Brandon Webb. Those guys, man. I hit I hit power pitchers well, so it's not who you think it'd be. Like, I liked hitting Randy Johnson. I did sinker ball, dead fish, Tom Glavin type stuff. Roll over to short, ground ball. Yeah, you hit a home run off, off uh, Randy Johnson, May 11, 2002. So, yeah, you went off the big unit. But um, next one, favorite away ballpark to play at? 
Man, well, I was a cub, but I also wasn't a cub. So Wrigley is 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 top. I mean, I just love Wrigley Field and the tradition, the classic. So I love to come in even as a visitor because that was they gave me a little bit of break because they knew I was drafted by the Cubs. <laughs> Our favorite pregame meal. Oh man, I, I'm a breakfast fan, man. So I always got up in the morning and ate breakfast, and then eat again at the field. I might make a sandwich, something boring like a turkey sandwich or something. But breakfast is all, man. French toast eggs whatever bacon everything grits if i'm in the south yeah all about the breakfast all right well doug hey, we really appreciate you joining us here thank you so much for the time you can catch doug this sunday calling the game with boog shambi on espn radio dodgers yankees for 10 pacific start thank you so much and enjoy the rest of your weekend here in la my man all right doug great right. talking to you man take it appreciate easy it. stadium their silence is deafening 136 israelis are still being held hostage by hamas bring them home home. 